0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP.
1: Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run, drive, walk, skip or jump with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I have a quote from HubSpot quoted on a business2community.com blog. And here's the quote. This will set us up nicely. Then I'll do a deeper dive into our topic. Listen up. Sales representatives spend less than a third of their working time actually selling. Let me repeat that again. Sales reps spend less than a third of their working time actually selling. Why? Bogged down by administrative and other non-sales tasks. Okay. Now, manual digital selling can be inefficient and time-consuming. We know you're all doing digital selling by now because you've been listening to the show for at least three or four years. It can be inefficient and time-consuming if you need to find different profiles, you need to write out different messages for different prospects, different customers, different social platforms. Oh, my. Well, how to solve the problem? Digital selling automation. Think about that. Digital selling automation to the rescue. Automation tools can help you compile concise detailed reports, everybody loves reports, and generate new pipeline-happy leads. I like that phrase, with way less busy work. So what does it look like? How can you get started? Where do you find it? We have a panel of three experts who are going to give you some hints, some clues, and lead you in the right direction. I'm going to introduce in here, and just in a moment, I'm going to have them introduce themselves, actually. We have Melissa J. Raj, a Senior Customer Success Manager at LinkedIn. Welcome to Melissa. We have Walter Hollard, the founder of brand Fusion. He spells Fusion, F U Z I O N. I love that, Walter. And welcoming back a uh, many time participant here on Game Changers Radio, Phil Lurie, VP of Sales Technology at SAP. Welcome to my panelists. Melissa, you're up first. Please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do at LinkedIn and what your interest is in this topic. Go ahead, Melissa.
2: Thanks so much, Bonnie. I'm happy to be here. So, I'm a senior customer success manager here at LinkedIn uh, based in New York. I've worked in customer success over the last seven or so years now, uh, so just a little while. Uh, Previously, I was sort of specializing in incentive and recognition technology, and now I've been working with LinkedIn in both Singapore and New York to help transform the sales environment with digital selling. So, that is really why I'm so interested in this topic. It's part of my day-to-day It's what I speak to customers and clients about um, literally um, all day, every day, and really my job is to try and understand how to implement change management strategies and best practices around digital selling adoption and engagement, and part of that, obviously, is making digital selling easier for reps out there um, through automation, so I'm very excited to discuss this topic with you guys today.
1: Thank you, Melissa. I was going to say that's quite a commute between Singapore and New York. Good for you. That's that's a a lot of time. A uh, question for you. Is there resistance? It, it's taken a while for our salespeople at different levels, different, I'll say, maturities, meaning how long they've been in sales, B2B sales. It's taken a while to even grasp the idea of digital selling. Now you're telling them we have something new for you to learn. It's called automation. It's good for you, but you've got to learn something new. Is there a resistance you're seeing, Melissa?
2: Um, I think, you know, for those early adopters, when we think about the change curve, for those early adopters, I think they're ready for something new, for something Mm -hmm. a bit faster and something that's going to be more successful. So to answer your question, I think maybe there's resistance with people potentially that are a little bit more lagging um, on the digital selling front. But if you're an early adopter, I think um, this should be where you're heading if you want to make significant impact and stay ahead of the curve, so to speak. Thank
1: you. Thank you. That summarized our topic very beautifully. Thank you, Melissa Ritay Raj. Appreciate that, and welcome to Game Changers. You're a first timer, and we're very happy to have you here. So let's go around the table. One seat to Walter Pollard, the founder of Brand Fusion. Walter, please do the honors and introduce yourself.
3: Yes, thank you, Bonnie, for having me on today. I'm excited to be here. Number thank one. Thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm the uh, president and founder of Brand Fusion. We are a sales enablement consultancy. We have a core focus on uh, digital selling. Um, as well, I'm also a board of director of the Sales Enablement Society. So uh, this topic is very exciting to me and areas I work with my clients, so I'm really excited to be on. And with uh, with the other folks that specialize in different arenas, uh, I'm, ex- again, excited to be on today.
1: Thank you, Walter. How did you pick the name for your company? I have to know. Brand Fusion, F U Z I O N. I and I think it is really, really cool. Am I allowed to say cool? That's a compliment, by the way. Sure. So how, how did you name great. it? Where did this name come from? Go ahead. Yeah, well,
3: I, I looked for, uh, when I was uh, getting the URL, Brand Fusion with the S, Infusion was already taken, so I said I had to go a different route. So I went with the Z. I wish it was a more compelling story, but um, that's how I came up with the actual name itself.
1: But you know something—that's a, that's a modern branding story, Walter. You look for a URL, and that's the one that was available. That's—I think—that's how a lot of companies get named, right? Convenience, availability.
3: That. That that's it, and we, you know, also I was just thinking how we're. You know, we work as an organization to integrate unified marketing sales and service. So uh, I figured fusion was a, a good word to use for that.
1: It's really, really cool. Congratulations. Glad the other one wasn't available. Thank you. I think I think you have a winner there. Phil Lurie waiting patiently around the table. Phil, I once said that to a third panelist waiting patiently and they said, How the heck do you know I'm being patient? I just made the assumption. Phil Lurie, welcome back. Why don't you give everybody an update on what you've been up to? Phil.
4: I'm doing the same thing, <laughs> actually. Body, it's a delight to be with you and uh, you. to meet uh, Walter and Melissa and I worked together for, for years, it seems. <laughs> it's about a year or so. Um, I am responsible for, for the um, sales organization at SAP to use uh, third-party tools and uh, in support of uh, their operations and so digital Selling is, is, is key to the, the uh, changes that we're, we're going through. So I've been uh, using a number of tools uh, in this area and uh, keep, keep an eye on what's going on in the marketplace. I also work with our marketing organization because there's a very good relationship between sales and marketing uh, that digital selling really enables. So uh, we can probably talk a lot about that in this call. We can. Thank
1: you, Phil, and always happy to have you on. Question for you. Do you agree with Melissa? I asked her a question about, is there, are the laggards, the laggards in digital selling, the ones who are maybe a little resistant to having to learn new tools, even if automation is a good thing for them? What do you observe?
4: Well, whenever you introduce uh, a new tool, there's always that that, uh, learning curve that people have to endure. And uh, some people, uh, get it quickly and other people have a little resistance to it. So I think it it relates more to their job roles. People who um are comfortable with their what they're doing and they're seeing success take a little bit more convincing that the, that the world is changing around them, but people mm-hmm. who are seeing difficulties, for example, that cold calling doesn't work, for example, uh that they are more likely to adopt a change because they they re, res, they realize that there's a need. So I I think that it it really depends. I think people who have established networks uh, probably Mm -hmm. don't need it as much as people who are trying to build new networks. So if you're trying to do net new business, you might be more interested in in the the new tools and new technologies. Whereas someone who's got an established client client base, they've got to keep them warm and cozy so they're looking Mm -hmm. at things differently. So it depends the answer.
1: Thank you very much. I just, for all three of you, Melissa, especially you get a kick out of this. Somebody approached me to connect on LinkedIn yesterday and his first name is the same as my last name, Graham. And I was intrigued and I checked out and it looked, he looked like he had an interesting profile. So I accepted. The first thing he did today to thank me for connecting him was he tried to sell me on his services. The first thing, and I thought, well, maybe that's his version of sales automation. I don't know, but it was a blatant selling pitch. I don't even know the guy, first connection. It's, I want to sell you this. No, thank you very much on many, many levels. Now, this is the part of the show where I have asked my three esteemed guests to please send me a quote that has on the surface, nothing to do with the topic, and from a famous person, a book, a movie, a song, somewhere, someplace, something. And then they're going to explain in their very own words, creatively, philosophically, poetically, intuitively, whatever it is, how the quote, makes sense to them on our topic. So Melissa Jayraj at LinkedIn has sent us a quote from, I love this quote, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was born Joan Ruth Bader. I didn't know that. 1933, woman about town, even during her cancer treatment, she was seen shopping in New York and buying shoes. Oh, my goodness. American lawyer. She is an associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, appointed by President Bill Clinton, and took the oath of office in 1993. She's the second female justice of four to be confirmed by the court, and between Sandra Day O'Connor's retirement, and Sonia Sotomayor's joining the court, Ginsburg was the only female justice on the Supreme Court. And there's a book called The Notorious RBG, and she certainly is. So here's the quote, everybody listen up. My mother told me to be a lady, and for her, that meant be your own person, be independent. Melissa, bravo on the quote selection. I love it. Tell me how that relates to our topic, please. please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, t- to be honest, the reason I chose it is obviously because I'm a huge fan. Um, she's a-, a major inspiration to me. And I, I recently went down to-, to Philly and saw a um, museum exhibit specifically on uh, Ruth Bader, uh, the notorious RBG, so to speak. Um, and it was very inspirational. Uh, the way it relates to the topic, I think the way it relates to me specifically, is, this is, a- is advice that I've been given throughout my life from um, strong female role models that have specifically been in it, which is fantastic. Um, and I think, you know, within the sales role, it is it is a highly independent role. And so in order to be um, successful, I think you need to be able to perform at a high level independently. Um, I know we talk about obviously selling as a team sport, um, but I think, you know, especially when you get to a certain point, you need to be able to to trust yourself to be able to close in a positive way. So, yeah, I to be honest, it was just a quote that I chose that I um, – personally resonated with.
1: Thank you very much. I and mean, when we're talking about automating digital selling, that sense of independence, if we can take that one step further, be your own person, be independent. Is that a, a mantra? Is that a, a motto of how people should behave in digital selling? Melissa, what's your thought on that? We, I just want to take it one one link closer to the topic. What do you think?
2: Sure. Well, I think to some degrees, counter—it it is actually counterintuitive, I think, with With digital selling, obviously, a huge part of that is using your network, using your referral network to be able to um, ask for a warm introduction, to be able to set up a meeting, um, to be able to get more information on a prospect that you're trying to meet. But to some degree, that's all individually done by you. It's motivated by you um, specifically. So I think there is some level of interdependence when we're talking about uh, digital selling automation is that you need to be willing to take that first step and set yourself up for success, whether that's with professional branding on social platforms, whether that's actually prospecting in a way um, that continuously pushes you leads um, and helps you, again, I guess, hit quota, whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. Those are all independent actions that you need to take that, I guess, are built on the foundation of your social network, which is obviously very important.
1: Thank you very much, Melissa. Thanks for allowing me to, to pull us cl- closer to the topic, and I appreciate that. All great points, Walter Pollard at Brand Fusion. I still can't get over the name of your company, Walter. I'm sorry, <laughs> catchy names really get me. Walter has chosen a quote from Zig Ziglar. Anybody too young? There may be some people in our million and a half listeners around the world who don't know who Zig Ziglar is. Hillary Hinton. That's right, Hillary Hinton. Zig Ziglar lived from 1926 to 2012, an American author, salesman, and motivational speaker anybody's interested he was born in coffee county in southeast alabama he was the tenth of 12 children he was a charter member in the establishment of the american sales masters in 1963 and their objective interestingly enough and this is appropriate for all of you to know his their objective was to raise the image of salespeople in america how they rented auditoriums they sent out flyers and they gave seminars for insurance agents car salesmen, financial advisors, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and curiosity seekers. He later became a major sales trader for Mary Kay Cosmetics. I was a Mary Kay lady back in the day for a while. Didn't do too well, but it was fun. And Zig Ziglar wrote over 30 books. For those of you out there who are would-be, wannabe authors, his first book, called See You at the Top, was rejected a mere 39 times before it was finally published in 1975, and you can still get it in print. So here's the quote Walter has selected from the luminary Zig Ziglar. If people like you, they'll listen to you. But if they'll trust you, they'll do business with you. Walter, another great quote. Tell us how this applies to our topic, please.
3: Yeah, so um, I, I love technology, and I, I think automation has a strong place with um, marketing in certain areas of sales technology. I do think at some point there can be a tendency to be a disconnect, We all know when we get those automated emails that are very generic in form. And the key thing to sales is we all know, no matter as um, technology advances, as processes and systems advances in sales, it all goes back to credibility and trust. So I think it's vitally important that um, as we all grow with technology that uh, we don't lose sight of credibility and trust for sales, especially today when sales reps now have to deal with on average seven to eight different um, potential buyers, especially in the B2B arena to make a sale. And also, if you're an organization that's really trying to drive growth and you're looking at a very customer-centric perspective, credibility and trust is essential. So that's Absolutely. the reason why I chose
1: that. Absolutely, and trust is a really a key word. Isn't that the found, one of the basic human foundations of establishing relationships? We know it is in personal relationships and business, but it, in digital selling, isn't this the key, Walter? That people are seeking to be able to trust, rather than my example of somebody I don't even know who connected with me, and the next thing I know, he's trying to sell me something I clearly don't even need, and. I wouldn't trust him as far as I can digitally throw him, which is, I don't know, not too far. So anyway, it, that it really is a bringing the human to the automation. Isn't that what it's all about, Walter, bringing that human element of trust?
3: Yes, most definitely.
1: Thank you very Absolutely. much. Thanks. Phil Lurie has brought us a quote for well, we haven't had a quote from this guy in a long time, Yogi Berra, Lawrence, Peter Yogi Berra, 1925 to 2015, one of the greatest baseball catchers in baseball history, manager and coach 19 seasons in the MLB, all but the last four for the New York Yankees. He quit school after eighth grade, and he was known for what we call malapropisms. Those are interesting ways of putting words together. They're paradoxical. It ain't over till it's over, obvious but cute. And he once simultaneously denied and confirmed his reputation by saying, I really didn't say everything I said. He was an 18-time All-Star, 10 World Series championships as a player more than any other player in history, one of five players, to only five, to win the American League Most Valuable Player Award three times, Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972. Wow. Here's the quote among many. There are two actually that Phil sent us. You can observe a lot by just watching. Okay. And the other one, it's like deja vu all over again. Phil, you want to tackle both quotes or one?
4: I'll take them both. Um, I had the pleasure of working with. Uh, I had the pleasure of working with uh, Yogi uh, in a number of charitable uh, events, and uh, after his retirement, uh, he was very active in charities and, and did a lot to help uh, uh, kids in sports. and, and He really uh, was more than just a, a sports figure; he was a person to uh, to really admire. Um, so, uh, the first quote, you know. The, we're going through the same process in sales, uh, the deja vu quote. Um, we're, we're always going through changes and revolution, which is great. Uh, the one thing that's uh, constant is change. And uh, we're going through the same kind of revolution in sales. We're going through things where people are learning and resisting to it. But the constant, it really relates back to what Walter has said uh, or quoted. People will buy from people they trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to establish the way we're trusted in a different way. And the uh, person that you got that email from certainly didn't do anything to establish trust. That's, that's a, that's, You know, the recurring theme that you have to be trusted uh, and uh, building your personal brand is a way of building uh, that kind of trust in today's uh, digital environment. As far as you can observe a lot by just watching, well, obviously, uh, sometimes you should keep your mouth shut and watch, watch what's going on around you, and maybe you can see some things that you didn't realize uh, that were obvious. So um, that's a great quote, I think, from Yogi, in that uh, just in observing how the world is changing around you, maybe you should sort of take, take the temperature before you jump into the cold water.
1: Or the hot water. <laughs> thank you very or much, Or the hot Hill. water. Or the hot water. Thank you. I'm thinking of hot that tea and ice. To your
4: coffee question that you always ask about.
1: <laughs> well, I'm about to get there, so don't preempt me. I'm only teasing, Phil. Thank you. This is the Thank you for the great quotes, of the three of you, and the explanations. This is the part of the show where we get to know our panelists just a little bit better. And I'm going to ask each of you two questions. Number one, where in the world are you calling from today? We just need a general city or location, not the address on your door or the group Google map coordinates of the roof of where you are. You could even say which hemisphere if you want to be very secretive. Second question is, what's your favorite beverage? And Phil, on on our main show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, I used to ask my guests guess what's in your cup today. And a lot of them were saying, well, not to, anything too interesting, but I wish I was drinking. So I expanded the question, Phil, to what's your favorite beverage? So that way we have a much broader and by the way, it is only 1023 AM here on the east coast of the US, but it's Bureau clock somewhere. So don't be afraid to tell me your favorite beverage is an alcoholic something. It's okay. Melissa J. Raj at LinkedIn, you're up first. Where are you today? And what's your favorite drink that energizes you or relaxes you calms you inspires you Whatever your pleasure. Go ahead.
2: Well, I am based in New York City today um, to actually give away my zip code in the Empire State Building, uh, which is <laughs> fantastic. Um, uh, favorite drink. That's, a, that's an easy one. In the morning or the afternoon, it'll be some, something I don't know if you guys have it here. It's a very Australian-slash-Singaporean um, drink called Milo. I think most of you guys probably may have heard of it. And um, how do you spell it, evening, Melissa? How do you spell it? M I L O. It's essentially like a chocolate malt drink. If I'm feeling particularly, uh, if I've had a hard Ooh. day, maybe that is what might come up, or a gin and tonic. It just depends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to have to go look for what Milo. It looks like Walmart carries it. Uh, Milo, M-I-L-O, is a chocolate and malt powder typically mixed with hot water and milk to produce a beverage popular in Oceania, South America, Southeast Asia, and parts of Africa. Produced by Nestle, it was originally developed by Australian inventor Thomas Main, M-A-Y-N-E, in 1934. Thank you very yeah. much. Very interesting. You just introduced me because I'm a chocoholic with chocca in the front of that. It. I will take a look, actually. It's uh, interesting, Amazon free shipping. I think I'm going to have to go get myself some of these. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Melissa. Nice to have you on. Walter Pollard, where are you today? And What's your favorite beverage or beverages, whatever you want?
3: Yes, I'm located in Arlington, Virginia, about five miles from our nation's capital. So very close to the Washington, D.C. Um, my favorite drinks is actually two. So I would say I am a... Coffee fanatic. Love coffee. Uh, So in the morning and the afternoon, coffee. And I would say um, in the evening hours, uh, old-fashioned.
1: How do you make your old-fashioned, or what kind of of an order do you give the bartender?
3: So uh, my old-fashioned, my um, bourbon of choice would be Bullet. And so um, the old the old method of making it old fashioned as well. There's not mm. too much sugar, I would say, in it.
1: Interesting. I'm looking here. The old fashioned. Of course, I want my, Phil knows this. I know all this information. It's re- retained in my brain. I'm not reading anything. I just. You mentioned old fashioned. Melissa mentions Milo. I just know all this stuff. You can laugh now. Thank you very much. The old fashioned <laughs> is a cocktail made by muddling sugar, not too much sugar, according to Walter Pollard at Brand Fusion, with yes. bitters, adding whiskey or less commonly brandy, and garnished with a twist of citrus rind, served in an old fashioned glass which predated the cocktail. One and a half ounces bourbon rye? Two dashes angostura bitters, one sugar cube, few dashes of plain water. You can have it on the rocks, pour it over ice. You can even decorate it with a cocktail cherries. Does that sound good to you, Walter? Sure does. We'll meet you for an old-fashioned later today. Thank you very much. Be ready. <laughs> Phil Lurie, where in the world are you today, and what's your favorite drink or drinks? We've never had double drinks from everybody, so Phil, feel oh, free yeah, to join the crowd drink. here. <laughs>
4: Well, I'm about uh, 10 miles to the northwest of where Melissa is right now. I'm in northern New Jersey. And uh, my favorite drinks, unfortunately, I am on a diet, which has been successful. So I am limiting my drinking to coffee, which I love, and filtered water. And I'm drinking gallons upon gallons of filtered water. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's working for me. But uh, not as much fun as, as the what I'm hearing here. I think that Milo sounds like something <laughs> I have to try when I get off my diet. <laughs> me,
1: me too. Well, I'm, I'm sort of not quite on my diet, so I'm going to try the Milo. I'll let you know how it is. It sounds delicious. I'm, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I don't know I want to know. It might, might be a temptation. Uh, well, I'm happy to do that for you. I, I recently, two years ago, two years and two months ago, I left New York. I was a Long Islander for the past 32 years, and I grew up in in Queens uh, in Douglaston, Long Island, Douglaston, New York, actually the borough of Queens, and lived in Great Neck after traveling around the country for many years, living around the country. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, and I have to report to all of you, I don't know what your weather is in New York, New Jersey. I think it's similar to ours. The wind is just whipping my house. I'm in my home broadcast office, and I have a spinner in the front garden, and it's going... So fast you can't even see the little <laughs> jewels, you know, the, the the metal jewels on the, on the spinner. Uh, it is raining and pouring, and we need the water, so it's perfectly all right. I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine on radio show days. Phil knows this from years of working with me. So all I'm allowed to have is cool, clear water. I have a flexible silicone straw. I've given up plastic straws in my little tiny contribution to saving the planet and the ecosystem in the oceans, not killing the fish in the marine life with that plastic that's gunking up the waters. But my favorite drink these days is still my, uh, I'll call it a diet drink, Phil, but it's not really. It's 1% milk, about 6 to 8 ounces, and um, a little bit of agave syrup, and uh, banana, medium ripe, not too mushy, not too green, because it doesn't taste good when it's green. And um, sometimes a little little bit of vanilla ice cream, but I won't admit that on the radio. Blend it up in one of those little personal blenders, so the, the 14.95 blenders that you just push the button and you you uh, pulse it and uh, put a silicone straw in it, and that's my breakfast drink, and I still love it. So there we go. That's my banana milkshake. Used to work as a diet drink. Phil doesn't do it anymore. It's just piling on, but it's just too good to give up. So here we are today. We are doing a shout-out to Kirsten Boyleau at SAP in Canada, who is the sponsor of this series. She's already renewed for 2020. We're very happy to have you on board for your fifth or sixth. Oh, it's next year will be your sixth season, Kirsten. And AJ uh, Arif, who has worked so hard on keeping all of these shows going all these years, he contacts the guests and he puts together the abstracts and we're very, very happy to have you working with us again. Today's topic is marketing automation, question mark? Well, how about digital selling automation? We're speaking today with Melissa J. Raj at LinkedIn, Walter Pollard at Brand Fusion with a Z instead of the S in Fusion. Have to do that, Walter. And Phil Lurie at SAP. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back after 90 seconds, we will do a deep dive into our formal roundtable on the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill by now. Aaron out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales and marketing organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Digital selling is a concept that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales and marketing process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and ultimately changing the way buyers and sellers engage in a digital world. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how digital selling is changing the world of business. Changing the game with digital selling is presented by SAP. Visit sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to changing the game with digital selling
1: here we are we're back we're not only changing it with digital selling we're upping the game with digital selling automation. That's our special topic today. Melissa J. Raj, she spells her last name J-E-Y-A-R-A-J at LinkedIn. Walter Pollard, P-O-L-L-A-R-D if you're looking for him at Brand Fusion, F-U-Z-I-O-N, and Phil Lurie, L-U-R-I-E at SAP. That's for the transcript people, everybody, in case you're interested so they'll know how to spell your names. Melissa's up first on our prediction, not our prediction, we're going to predict at the end, on our round table here uh, talking about what's most important about this topic. Here's what Melissa told me, one of her statements before the show. I'll read. a little, and then Melissa will expand it. Then we will, in true roundtable fashion, we'll invite Walter Pollard in and then Phil Lurian to comment and agree or disagree with Melissa. So she says, it's twice as hard to reach prospects now than it was in 2010. Cold outreach response rates typically range from 1% to 3%. The question is, how can you develop relationships at scale or reach out to multiple people with a personalized message. Melissa, talk to us about how automated outreach comes into play here, please.
2: Thanks so much, Bonnie. So I think um, for a lot of people out there within a sales organization at the moment, they're finding that the typical methods, I think this is what we all heard when digital selling first came out, that the typical methods of reaching out to people weren't working as effectively. So cold outreach, we know the response rates, uh, are pretty low, most of the time, anywhere between one to 3%, whether you're picking up the phone and making a phone call to an organization or an executive, or you're sending an email, um, it becomes really difficult to, uh, do that with much success. Um, and it was interesting because I was listening to a podcast by Gary V recently, love him or hate him, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was talking about the concept of, uh, of, of real estate, and he talked about the concept that you know email real estate is is on the decline. We've seen the response rates from emails. I think literally jump over the last ten years from about eight ten to eight percent, maybe um, to five to three percent. So it's it's pretty low. People, I think, are very used to receiving their sales pitches in a specific way, and so it becomes very important to be able to uh, become successful with reaching out to prospects. Um, on social platforms, because again, it's a new area, which I think hasn't been explored as deeply talking again to that point of real estate, um, probably more available real estate there than there are on other, um, I guess in other methods of contacting people, but it's also become significantly important when you are reaching out and developing relationships at scale to still keep some level of personalization. I think personalization is really required to build rapport and trust and to help buyers with their expectations of what they'll hear from you, I think buyers are expecting solutions these days, rather than um, you coming to them with a whole bunch of questions. Um, and I think that's that's really what's changed: is that if we want to automate, we need to be able be able to automate with some level of personalization. Very so, important. A bit controversial straight off the bench, but. Yep. Um, I throw that in
1: there. Well, controversy is is part of what we want to talk about here. So let's see how controversial Walter Pollard wants to be. Walter, chime in. Agree or disagree with (laughs) Melissa's position on automating and personalizing. Those may be polar opposites, but what's your point of view on that?
3: Yes. um, I agree with Melissa from the perspective that personalization is very important Um, when it comes to automating. And how we reach out to folks to build credibility and trust and uh, personalization, providing some form of u- unique messaging based upon that. I would also say that um, I'm finding that uh, with um, in the sales arena, digital selling,
4: uh,
0: social
3: media and sell, um, messaging through LinkedIn can be fantastic, but also uh, um, I'm finding there can also be a disconnect. Uh, with automation because, again, it's not as personalized in many cases as it needs to be to really have those one-to-one conversations. So, and especially going back to the buyer today, you're, you could be mm-hmm. dealing with uh, one individual, but then also you could be dealing with six or seven folks within a given sales situation. So, um, personalization is very important, but I also think we need to think about Going back to personalization from a perspective of one-to-one conversations. Not that automation should not be used at all. It does mm-hmm. have a time and place, but I think it's very important to think about those one-to-one conversations of personalization.
1: Very interesting, Phil Lurie, chime in, please. Here, Love to hear your POV.
4: Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the statistics. I'm I'm very concerned about where this trend is going overall. My. My view is that uh, outbound marketing has a limited shelf life and that uh, we should be preparing for a time where uh, messages like the one you got uh, are blowing up in our faces that people mm-hmm. aren't looking for contacts that are trying to sell to us due directly because people don't want to be sold to. And uh, one of the things I mentioned in, in my uh, pre-call uh, comments was that People uh, are starting to know more about you uh, before they even contact you, that they've researched your company and things like that. So I think we need to be focused more on where we go uh, next in terms of making sure that you're found when people are ready to buy from you and uh, that your products and and such are uh, being displayed uh, properly. Uh, That goes back to having great websites, for example, so that people can find you and then being available with the answers to their questions when they contact you. I I think there's going to be a transition period where we need to be more effective in our outbound marketing, but I think it's a a point of diminishing return. I don't think we should abandon it, but I think it's going to be something that we should devote less and less attention to and more and more attention to new ways of answering customer customer demands.
1: Thank you very much. Melissa, very provocative. Anything you want to add to uh, what the others have added to your statement?
2: Yeah, I think to, to some degree I actually I agree with Phil in regards to the statement around things changing. Um, and to the point around, I guess, marketing maybe playing a little bit more of an influential part in the concept of automation. I think when we talk about digital selling automation, marketing has a pretty big Uh, part to play in that. And so, um, yeah, I'm interested to explore that topic further.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Good starter statement there. Walter Pollard, I'm looking at your notes. Here's something interesting. Along the theme of personalization, you say each selling situation is different. Having empathy for your customer and understanding their challenges and needs requires one-to-one conversation. This is more important than ever before to create customer value. So let's pair that with the idea of automating your tasks. Where do you have that one-to-one conversation that's not automated? How much automation takes you to that point of the privilege of having the conversation? Walter, why don't you give us some more detail here, and then we'll ask Phil and Melissa to add their POV. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, so I think um, it, it depends upon automation. Uh, it can be, depend upon a number of factors: the the industry you're focusing on. Are you focusing on B two B arena? Are you focusing on the B two C arena? Is it a transactional sale where automation can be uh, even more valuable, um, or is it again where you have to really need to have those one to one conversations quickly with potential buyers? Again, a moment ago I said that. Um, There's up to, again, the studies show, and they vary greatly, but, you know, seven to eight different buyers within a B2B organization, a a sales individual, may have to speak to to effectively navigate their agreement network to come to a consensus Mm -hmm. to actually buy from them. So personalization with one-to-one conversations is more important than ever before. And so I think um, in the B2B arena, I think um, one-to-one conversations are one of the best approaches to date to take today because again you have to um, to understand the empathy of that buyer and understand their core needs. You have to have a conversation with them, and each buyer within a role of an organization can vary greatly from one organization to the next. You can have the same industries you're dealing with and similar roles, but their their challenges, their needs may be different. So it's very important to have those one-to-one conversations. And this also goes into the fact why where messaging, which mm-hmm. is becoming a lost art, is yes. so important today, sales messaging.
1: Yes, and we that takes us back to building trust, credibility, having a message that's appropriate, not overwhelming like the one I got, or upsetting, or offending, or... pissing off I can say that so that nobody wants to have a conversation with you there is a delicate balance Phil Lurie chime in what Walter said what do you agree or disagree thoughts
4: I I absolutely agree with what Walter said I'd just like to emphasize one point that the way you approach the B2C market is probably different than B2B Mm -hmm. and that uh, sort of the mass mailing kind of approach with uh, an understanding a bit about your customers by groups would probably be effective in the B2C arena, whereas in B2B, you really need that personal contact because it's, it's a much, generally speaking, it's a much larger purchase and requiring a lot more consideration. But if you're doing B2C, um, usually the item that's being sold is, is uh, uh, more, uh, well, lower in, lower in price and, and probably an easier kind of sell in that regard, and you want to go to more of a mass market And just building the trust there is is less important. Maybe the product is more of the uh, thing that builds the trust than the person uh, selling the product, whereas in B2B, it's the opposite. So I think, you know, one size doesn't fit all. You have to uh, figure out where you're going and knowing where your customers are going to be. But essentially what Walter said is absolutely right, in my opinion, as well.
1: Thank you very much. Melissa, join us. Thoughts, please?
2: Yeah, I mean – just to add in, I think nothing can really replace the one-to-one conversation, especially uh, within the B2B space, um, so to speak. I think where the automation occurs is probably before that conversation happens. So, finding that individual, um, obviously understanding what's happening within their industry, with their business, um, their individual needs within their role, um, much of that, I think, can be automated and that's what helps you to have a successful one-on-one conversation, I think. So, um, yes, nothing can replace, I think, one-on-one, but maybe the process before that
1: definitely can can be automated. Thank you very much. Good roundtable there. Uh, Walter, anything you want to add on that one? No. I, well, let me one other thing, yes.
3: Um, Melissa, I totally agree with what she just brought up about the automation on the front end behalf before having the one-to-one conversation, I definitely see that there could be a lot of value in that, uh, and then quickly move into that one-to-one conversation.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, let's move around the table. Let's see. Phil Lurie, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's see what we've got left. Uh, Let's go to some basics here. Uh, Phil, a a very basic statement about digital selling. Let's get back to the, the ABCs. Today's customers know more about your products than you do. Today's B2B customers expect to be able to access relevant, up-to-date content anywhere, anytime, on the device of their choosing. This is the heart of digital transformation. So let's add in Phil. Let's now transpose, uh, transport this part of your your statements into the concept of automating internal sales processing. In terms of automating the messaging, in terms of automating the frequency of the messages and the number of platforms they appear on. So Phil, take this to our, uh, bring this up to our topic, please.
4: Great. There are a number of products that are recently on the market that are called sales enablement tools. Now, I'm not going to mention specific products and brands by name, but what they do is they help you manage the sequence of the events that you have during the customer's journey. And it uh, provides you templates for each message that you would uh, send out at uh, different phases. And uh, it uh, also has some AI in there to track when you're getting responses to these messages. Uh, the, I said templates because in each case, you would need to, te- uh, to take that template and customize it, which means personalize it. So there are a number of tools, and that's the growing uh, approach now towards uh, sales automation because the reason you need this is that you're not just selling to one client at a time, you're selling to multiple clients and you have multiple threads going on at the same time. So these tools enable you to keep track of all this at the same time. So the question I I, I kind of brought forward here is, uh, are there ways for a salesperson to do a lot of things at the same time? And are these tools going to really assist in that, you know, trying to be personal to a lot of people at the same time? And how do you keep track of all those conversations? And there's hope that these tools will provide that kind of uh, intelligence. And uh, you know, give you uh, an automated assistant that uh, is essentially assisting you, but not doing the work. So you're not talking. The customer isn't talking to a robot or to an AI intelligence. They're talking to a person, but that person is being guided by the uh, artificial intelligence that says, "Hey, it's time to talk to so and so," and and give them this message, and uh, then customize it.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's go around the table to Melissa. Melissa, thoughts about this concept of automating? Where does it come in? Where is it going to work best based on what Phil just shared?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I like the idea of this. Um, In my mind, I think first and foremost, an organization needs to have mapped out their customer journey um, with their products or services to a point where they can see interesting, potentially trends or patterns, whether Mm -hmm. that be industry-based or persona-based. And I think you have to have a firm grasp of that if you want to apply sales enablement tools like this. I think Phil's point that, you know, nothing can replace the person and that person making a decision at the end of the day whether to send a message or how to customize a message. I think that's 100% right. I think, you know, if we move too far into automation, we run the risk of sending messages to our customers or to our clients or prospects, really, that don't actually resonate or we make, Mm. or, you know, something makes a decision on our behalf. And I think really nothing can replace us looking, a human looking at a situation Mm -hmm. and judging whether it's the right time, whether it's relevant, um, and whether something will be successful, so I think it's it's a fine line and a fine balance, but I think if you are, I think it's a great idea, but I think you do have to ensure that you've mapped your customer journey um, pretty well and have a good understanding, uh, whether that be based on industry or persona.
1: Thank you. I have a great example for all of you after Walter chimes in here. Walter, please join us. Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's
3: um, as Phil and Melissa were speaking about. I think it's vitally important. Uh, to be extremely streamlined and and targeting your uh, buyer-customer journey and very well understand them. Um, So when we think about sales messaging today, and Phil brought up some interesting information regarding to sales enablement and technology, so I see sales enablement being really the vital component that actually unifies marketing, sales, and service. So this goes right to the core of very well completely understanding or having a 360-degree degree view of your customer and in understanding them, providing um, enablement solutions for the sales rep to be more effective, uh, as Phil was talking about, when to deliver the right message. And you can actually mm-hmm. incorporate that not only on the customer-facing side of things, providing information to the rep, but also on the training and coaching side, how they can be aligned to the sales process, and also the ability to create more targeted and more effective messages based upon being very customer-centric focused, and then, of course, incorporating into that content. So I see a lot of value
1: in this. Thank you very much. Phil, anything you want to add to the good discussion with your colleagues on the panel?
4: Um, Yeah, I think uh, Walter just pointed out another uh, aspect of it is that, uh, you know, we've got to make sure that the salespeople have the tools to understand their own products a little bit better, to find, mm-hmm. you know, to answer the questions that people will come up with. Uh, as I said in, in the outset, uh, the customer might know more about the products than you do. And consider a salesperson, like at a big company like ours, uh, they have a lot of products, and uh, they might not specialize in every one of them. So how do they get the information? Because a customer contacting you for follow-up information wants an answer, an answer almost immediately, and how do you do that? So we need to also bolster the tools that we have to provide intelligence or knowledge, knowledge base to our own people. that they can sound Mm -hmm. as intelligent as they really are, uh, so they have the facts at their fingertips. So that's another aspect of what we need to be doing. It's a separate tool, I think, but uh, all these data management and knowledge management systems are really going to become more important as we have to be more responsive to a demanding customer
1: base. Very interesting. Thank you. Great points there all. Melissa, I'm going to tee you up, cue you up for predictions in just a second, uh, 60 seconds each predictions on, let's say, what will be different about this topic, digital marketing, digital selling automation by 2025 between now and the next five years. But my quick story is that I host and produce my own radio show that's not about business and technology on Monday nights on a different channel, and it's called Read My Lips, and I interview Authors, I love crime thriller novelists and uh, artists and musicians and filmmakers. And, and it's fascinating. And I used to go to the National Publicity Summit in New York and meet authors who had come from all over the world and paid to meet media like me. And they would line up and I would book them for, I booked six months of shows in two and a half hours. It was a great tool for me. Person to person, three minutes on a line with a monitor with a stopwatch. Literally, they got three minutes to pitch me and me to, to book them or not. Well, I recently got an email from a young man I met two years ago at the summit, and his email said, hi, I met you at the Publicity Summit in New York. I have a great topic. I'd love to be a guest on your radio show. Well, the name sounded familiar, so I went back into my files and looked. He was already on the show. He was not a stranger to me. We had already spent an hour and a half on the radio, and I was basically offended, and I have a feeling that he used an automation tool to go through the list of all the media he met two years ago, thinking he would find the ones where the sweet spot, where he could get booked to talk about his book, about his work. So I sent him a, not caustic, but a very specific message, and I said, you forgot all about me. You were on my show, and sorry at this time I'm not booking repeat guests. Have a good weekend. Have a good holiday, Bonnie, and I signed it that way. But do you think, just quickly around the table, Melissa, then Walter, then Phil then, uh, do you think that he used an automation tool to just blast out this this media request? What do you think, Melissa?
2: Um, uh, to be honest, it sounds likely. Like if he had ver- very minimal memory of, of speaking to you and it sounded general in every way, the messaging that you got, yep. I think the answer could be yes.
1: Yes, and it was, in a sense, B2B. It was an author trying to sell his book to a media person, so it was B2B. Walter, automated or not, what do you think?
3: Automate it all the way.
1: (laughs) All the way. Thank you very much. Was I right to get annoyed? Probably 50%. Phil, automate it or not.
4: Oh, probably. But, Bonnie, maybe, uh, I don't want to tease you here, but uh, (laughs) maybe maybe we're not as uh, Memorable as we think. Oh,
1: you you just (laughs) ruined my day, Phil Lurie. Okay, you're going last. You're going last on the predictions. Well, you were anyway. Melissa J. Raj at LinkedIn, 60 seconds. What's your prediction on what will change?
2: Uh, My prediction is not a crazy one, which is that digital um, automation, digital selling automation is definitely going to ramp up, I think, as we move more into the concept that Phil alluded to before, which is like the AI space, um, where we have more help from multiple um, technological sources to make decisions. Um, We know that the workforce as well is changing pretty radically with the number of millennials Mm -hmm. um, entering the workforce and I guess um, probably becoming, I think, in the next 10 or 20 years, um, majority of our workforce um, population, which is kind of crazy. I think... Um, if you're a laggard, now is the time to, to get on board with digital selling and digital selling automation. So I only see um, the topic coming up more and more frequently as we move into the future.
1: Thank you. And I just checked out the age range of millennials because I was curious. They're also Gen Y. I never remember that. Between 38 and this year, the youngest cohort are turning 23 this year. So definitely they're in. A lot of them are in management. A lot of them have an extraordinary amount of money to spend, discretionary income, and some of them are just entering the workforce after graduate school. So thank you, Melissa. Walter Pollard, 60 seconds. Prediction, what will change?
3: Um, I feel that they'll still be – advances and ramping up with automation, most definitely in AI, with AI technology. I would say that I think there's, uh, with individuals, as we've been talking about, they will find disconnects with uh, technology and the one-to-one conversation. So I think strategy and also the integration of technology from marketing, sales, and service will come much further along to provide advancements to be more customer-centric with the Messaging strategies and things of that nature.
1: Thank you very much, Phil Lurie. I've got to forgive you for what you said, Phil, but I'm not sure how soon I'm going to forgive you. So go ahead, Phil. Put <laughs> your no. Give me a prediction. Damn it. Go ahead. <laughs> you can.
4: You can get even. You can get even. So <laughs> as far as, the, as far as the customer journey, I think uh, we've got to look at where AI and big data, and let's not forget about massive amounts of data that is being collected. Those are going to be really important, and I think the combination of, of that uh, intelligence and tools that we will do to do better analysis of that big data will help us figure out our targets of opportunity in a better manner, and then the things that we are ta- we talked about earlier on this uh, call uh, will come into play. So once you've identified your targets, uh, that's going to be uh, more important, and I think that's going to be the big change in the next three to five years that will We'll be more intelligent about who we're reaching out to. And uh, then uh, I think we're already moving down the pipe in terms of giving better messaging and doing the uh, uh, you know digital selling part of it. But even identifying your targets is probably going to be the most important aspect of that.
1: Absolutely, positively, and I think in the case of the young man I mentioned, I'm guessing he had a digital assistant or somebody he just said, here are all the people I met in the past two years, send them a message, and without any looking at the mail, I'm just going to let you let me go at that one, Phil. I want to thank my three panelists, I want to thank Arif Mohammed Johari, I finally got your name right at SAP, for putting the show together, great work with the panelists, and series sponsor Kirsten Boyleau, Mwah. and Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel, here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Melissa J. Raj at LinkedIn, just like Walter Pollard at Brand Fusion with a Z. I love that, Walter. And Phil Lurie at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back in one hour with a live episode of Game Changing Technology in Sports, talking about the use of the second screen and long-form content for sports marketing. Woo-hoo! Talk to you then. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.